The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon. What's going on, everybody? Eric Franson continuing on with us here on the uh, a Wednesday edition of the Full Court Press. Uh, man, we talked about Jordan Love declaring for the NFL. If you missed that, you want more details on that, you can go to cashvalleydaily.com to read more about it. He's uh, declaring for the NFL draft, though he is going to come and still be uh, wearing an Aggie uniform one last time when the Aggies take on Kent State in the Frisco Bowl. Uh, we've talked about uh, the uh, Utah Jazz, what's going on with them, mired in really not good basketball, losers of six of their last eight. Uh, they do play tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Jazz are favored by a point and a half in this one, even though it's on the road. But we'll have our pregame coverage starting at about 5.50 with David Locke. And so that'll cut into our show a little bit today. But uh, stay tuned for that. So we'll have the after that, we'll have the full game here on the fan. Uh, tomorrow, a really shortened show because of Skyview basketball, but we'll get into that a little bit more tomorrow. But they're at a tournament down at uh, at American Fork, the Utah Elite Eight basketball tournament. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, basketball in general for the Mountain West and focus on where Utah State is and the other schools in the Mountain West Conference so far. Uh, Eli Betker, he joins us. He is a contributor and uh, follows the Mountain West Conference in a lot of different ways, and uh, it it's, covers a lot of these different teams from uh, a different perspective than just following one specific team. And joining us to let us know the current state of where things are in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, Eli, thanks for joining us tonight here on the Full Court Press. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, first of all, your reactions to seeing San Diego State climb into the top 25 in, in, the, in the polls and seeing Utah State completely fall out. Yeah, I thought the polls were a little bit harsh on uh, Utah State's uh, recent results, and I do understand a little bit about the, the hesitancy that the AP voters have with a mid-major program, regardless of who it is, but uh, Utah State has played good basketball to this point. They do have that loss of St. Mary's, which probably could have gone either way, and uh, not an easy place to play, of course, but uh, moving on to San Diego State, I will say the Aztecs have been a bit of, su- of su- surprise for me, and um, that's mainly because I projected the Mountain West to, in large part, be a, a one-bid league heading into the season. Just wasn't quite sure that SDSU was on the same level as Utah State. And uh, we'll certainly see plenty of action between those two teams as the season goes along. But um, the Aztecs now looking the part of a team that can contend with Utah State um, from, from this point on until we get to the Mountain West Tournament in Las Vegas. Yeah, kind of similar thoughts that you had coming into the season that it would be Utah State and then everybody else. But clearly San Diego State is having their own opinions of how that should be. But uh, beyond San Diego State, New Mexico actually is still looking like they're playing pretty decent basketball right now in the early season as well. Yeah, they they have played a good basketball. And, and that's probably the team that I have uh, probably the most modest opinion on in the Mountain West this season. I just was not quite buying into the Lobos heading into the year, and I know how much talent is on this roster. You have so many 
high major capable transfers. But uh, as we've seen, especially in this conference and in years past, it's it's a challenge to get all of those players on the same page when they come from different schools for a variety of reasons. And uh, what Eric Musselman did with that Nevada program the last handful of seasons, I, I think, is not the norm. It's more of the exception. And what Paul Weir has done, uh, tying this group together, a lot of love capable guys there, and start nine and two, and probably looking the part of the third or at least the fourth best team in the conference. It's a nod to him, and um, as always, Albuquerque is going to be a tough place to play. So uh, any team that goes into uh, Albuquerque will have a tough time scratching out a win, especially when the team is playing like this. Did, uh, did you ever think that Paul Weir's job may be a little bit insecure or from, or do you feel like the, this is a guy that's still young and has uh, showing some improvement with his ball club? Yeah, I think consistency has been probably the the biggest obstacle for Paul Weir to this point. And it's a program that definitely has a strong history. Uh, you know what Steve Alford now is Nevada did with that program just a handful of seasons ago. And Craig Neal was just given four years after what was a really successful first season. So I I don't feel like it's necessarily a tournament or bust situation for Paul Weir, as some might have guessed heading into the season. Um, but, I mean, things really went sideways last season, the way that they wrapped things up, losing to San Jose State and just pretty much collapsing down the stretch um, with a team that is almost as talented as this team is this season. I would be pretty stunned if they make a move in the off season, at least with the current trajectory of New Mexico. And that's mainly because Paul Weir, uh, just from what I know about him, he just seems like a very intelligent mind and is trying to bring new things to the table uh, with the way he strategizes and, and gets his players to mesh. So uh, I, I do like what he's done so far this season and it should continue on that uh, path that he's, he's built or he's um, paved so far when uh you, you mentioned eric musselman uh he leaves N- nevada and in his place comes another coach that's very familiar with the mountain west uh steve alford uh, had some pretty good success when he was at uh at new mexico didn't have that same level of success kind of struggled at ucla but he comes back to the mountain west different location do you see that uh, translating okay after Nevada left, had so many key players leave, uh, they, they seem to be kind of finding themselves or, uh, at this point where earlier in the season maybe there's still some uncertainty about what they would look like. Yeah, I think it's it's going to take some time, of course, with Steve Alford. And uh, it's, I mean, how many coaches can you really rely upon across the nation um, to inherit a new roster, a new program, one that's lost five senior starters uh, and just, what was a tremendous season for Nevada, even if it didn't translate to NCAA tournament victories, just what Musselman had done the last three, four years for this program uh, was tremendous. And so it's, there, there are going to be nights like there were on Tuesday night. And I know that Nevada didn't expect to lose to BYU by 30 something points, but it's, it's just going to happen when you're in a bit of a transitional phase. And I don't think any coach is necessarily um, immune from that. Uh, I do think that Nevada long-term will be just fine. and um, They might even wind up competing for uh, maybe the second or third spot uh, for the Mountain West Tournament um, later next year. So I think that this program will be just fine. And Steve Alford, I do think, is the right pick to carry on what Eric Musselman has been able to accomplish. So 
um, I think that they'll be just fine in Reno. So uh, you, certainly there's like a, a, a what I would classify as a top tier of the Mountain West, San Diego State, Utah State. I'd even include New Mexico in that. Nevada's just on the outside, but you know, not too far. And then you just have a whole lot of, I don't know what. I mean, a lot disappointment, mediocrity. Uh, this doesn't seem like the, the rest of the Mountain West is doing a heck of a whole lot. Am I missing something there, or would you classify it differently? No, I, I think you. I think you nailed it there. I think it has to come down a lot of like which players we had outgoing in the spring, and a lot of talented um, players. Just for pretty much across the board, every team lost at least one starter that was an upperclassman. So you do see do see a lot of that um, transition. I think uh, UNLV, Fresno, and Boise State. Those are three programs that are probably capable of turning it around, but Fresno State and UNLV have, have struggled out of the gates, closing down some winnable games um, for sure. Those are two programs that I have my eyes on. Um, and, I, and I do really like the Boise State program as well. Um, Derek Olson's a guy that I think is as capable of any player in this conference, and, and he'll go on and have a very professional career. Um, whether or not he has the supporting cast to back him up, um, I think, a lot of that has to say with what Leon Rice can put together for this program, but uh, I think you're right. It's beyond those top three, four schools that you listed. It's pretty much a bunch of question marks. I think a number of these programs could finish probably as high as fifth and maybe as low as ninth or tenth. Um, I mean, even even Wyoming and San Jose State have shown some positive signs. They don't really necessarily know where those two programs that were picked to finish tenth and eleventh, respectively, you don't really know where those will finish up either. So um, that it. it Brings plenty of excitement to the Mountain West, so in a program that uh, seems to surprise at least uh, twice a week. At this point, and granted, it is still a very young season, but at this point of the season, is there one team that surprises you more than any, and perhaps how maybe disappointed you are in where they're at and how well they're or how well they're not doing? Yeah, I, I would probably say Fresno State has probably been my underwhelming choice. Uh, they've and they've lost some really close games, but. I, I still think when you have a group of guys led by Nate Grimes, who I think is a, a tremendous forward, and um, Noah Blackwell, who's a, who's a great guard, that's now stepping in for uh, the outgoing Deshaun Taylor. I, I did have at least somewhat modest expectations for this Fresno State program, but I wasn't necessarily expecting a two and six start with losses to San Diego, CSU Northridge. Um, so. I, I can't expect this team to turn it around as the season progresses, but you can probably say that about just about every team uh, in this conference. But on more of a positive note, I know a lot of folks around the country are saying the same thing, but uh, San Diego State has, has really delivered, and this is a program that has had a lot of obstacles and challenges in non-conference play, particularly under the lead of Brian Dutcher. He's he's had his fair share of uh, non-conference hiccups, and to see – this program off to a perfect start and could very well be the final undefeated team remaining in the nation. And they're projected to do so by Ken Palm. It's not really something I was expecting. And um, it sets up nicely for uh, a two team race at the very least for the mountain West as the season progresses, which I think is particularly beneficial for both of these two teams, as well as the remainder of the conference to have two top 25 caliber teams battling enough for, um, seeding and, and also the Mountain West Tournament Championship. 
Do you, uh, again, we're speaking with Eli Betker. He's with uh, he's a contributor for the Mountain West Wire and a couple other different publications. And Eli, with the the pending, and granted, this is months away, but with the NCAA tournament and the selection committee, does this does this need to be only a two team race for two teams more at least more than one team to get in? Can really the Mountain West Conference do anything to help itself over these next couple of weeks before conference play really starts to get going? Well, if you see a third team start to solidify, it's, I'm, I'm particularly looking at New Mexico or, or maybe even Nevada um, or Boise State, if you want to throw them in there as well. If there's a third team that can solidify itself as the firm number three, and you have that team that maybe not surpasses the San Diego State or Utah State the rest of the season, but just remains uh, maybe in a type of position that Fresno State was last year, uh, and just continues on a solid pace throughout the year, then you're really setting up what could be a three-bid league again because if you have two capable at-large teams and uh, the both of those teams go down in the Mountain West tournament, then that sets up an auto-bid, which adds another team into that field of 68, and that's ideally what the Mountain West wants and honestly has received the last couple of years. So uh, I can't necessarily put my finger on which team that could be the remainder of the season, and uh, after a month, it's, it is a bit hard to judge with different strength of schedules and, and coaches messing with different rotations and such. But um, we'll have to take a look at who that team could be a month from now or even two months from now and, and see if they can solidify themselves at, the, at that number two or number three spot. From uh, your observations as an outsider, just keeping an eye on Utah State, so what are some of your early observations about this team and where they're at right now? Yeah, I, I think it is a, a bit of a challenge to gauge where Utah State is when Nemeas Kate isn't at full health. Um, it is good to see him back on the floor now, but um, as expected, it should take a little bit of time for this team to really find what their potential is with, with Kata on the floor because, I mean, he's just as important to any player in this conference or even the remainder of the country uh, just from what he does and what he brings from the skill set pers- perspective. But for this team to be where they're at, even without their number two guy, they haven't suffered any damaging losses. They even have the quality win against LSU. I think that's a good sign for the Aggies moving forward. I think uh, on more of a positive note, Justin Bean has been just tremendous. and This is a guy that I've been a fan of um, dating back to last season. I, I thought that he really showed some flashes of potential late in the year, particularly in, in March when he delivered in the Mountain West Tournament. And, I mean, to to go from former walk-on status to averaging 15 and 12 in a matter of a season is just, it, it speaks to what he brings to this team. And he does so much more than just putting up tallies in the box score. You see him diving after loose balls and um, just being a good teammate. And I think that's what ties Utah State together. And um, every program around the nation could use a guy like Justin Bean because he just, he seems to be, I know it's so played out and um, and overused, but he really is the definition of what a glue guy is in, in terms of college basketball play. And um, I know that Utah State's really fortunate to have him um, pair alongside Sam Merrill and the Mias Keda. Yeah, the, the absolute best uh, way to describe him, as you have there. Yeah, He seems to always be in the right place at the right time and uh, gets uh, – gets certainly the fans excited and his teammates excited with the way that he plays. And then Utah State here, 
they're facing a pretty tough stretch here the next week and a half. All three games that they have between now and December 21st are on neutral site, uh, neutral site courts. Uh, they face BYU in Salt Lake City, South Florida in Houston. They face Florida in Miami. How important do you think this three-game stretch is here for Utah State to get back into the top 25 or be back in the national discussion? Yeah, it's it's huge for Utah State, and I have always I've said for years now just how important non-conference scheduling and non-conference results are for particularly mid-major programs looking to receive at-larges, and obviously we're familiar with that in the Mountain West where it could really come down to what you did in non-conference play, and if your team lacks a top 50, top 75 win, then uh, you have to pick up that auto bid in March, and Utah State, uh, they're certainly capable of, of winning those three games in the Mountain West tournament, but no one wants to be in that situation where it's either win or go home. And if they're able to win two or three of these games um, over this next week and a half stretch, like you said, I think it really puts them in a more comfortable spot moving forward and so they can really focus on conference play and just remaining at the top of the ladder. But uh, BYU, obviously, very familiar with this conference so far. They've already played, I believe, four or five Mountain West teams to this point and coming off huge wins over UNLV and Nevada. So that will be a tough one. And Florida, again, marked as a national contender heading into the season. If they're able to win that game as well, I think that'll look really good on their team sheets um, on Selection Sunday. And that's all that Utah State can really ask for at this point, just making most of the opportunities that you have and um, getting back to full strength. So we'll see what they do over the next week and a half. But as you said, really big stretch for the Aggies. Do they need to go 3-0 and in the stretch uh, if they want to be able to get that at-large bid in March? I, I don't think a 3-0 stretch is required, especially with the nation knowing about this team. It's not like they're going to have to backdoor their way into the NCAA tournament conversation. I think if they do go 0-3, then that is certainly a cause for concern because then you're left with I mean, maybe one or two top 50 win chances the rest of the year, and that's likely against San Diego State. And um, history says that if you don't have three, four, maybe five quality wins, then your, your chance of getting an at-large bid um, really declines. So having a win against BYU or Florida on that um, non-conference schedule moving forward, I think kind of eases the tension in the room for a mid-major program that has legitimate um, a goal of reaching the second week of the NCAA tournament, but again, you can't do that unless you have those quality victories. Uh, have you had a chance to, to see many of the, the BYU games when they've played Mountain West opponents? Um, not to this point, um, but I am I'm familiar with what BYU brings to the table, I would say. Um, I think bringing back Yoli Child is really big for them. Um, it's, it is a pretty similar situation, I would say, BYU and Utah State being without they're big men, but um, Yoli Child is now getting back into the swing of things, and uh, I think I think that's going to probably be the key matchup um, between BYU and Utah State is is what can uh, Yoli Childs do against Namias Keda and or Justin Bean if um, Keda isn't quite ready to go. So um, uh, BYU is probably going to be that team that has their ups and downs, and they do have a pair of close overtime losses, but um, they've also blown out a, a number of capable teams. So um, it, it's definitely a, a solid challenge for Utah State. That um, I mean, they, They've had two solid challenges so far this season, Utah State has, and 
Uh, one they delivered and the other one came up short. So I, um, the Cougars definitely represent an opportunity for um, the Aggies. Well, uh, Eli, if folks want to follow some of your stuff, it's been great stuff, great uh, insight on a lot of these different teams in the Mountain West. What, where would you send people? Where, they, where can they find your material? Yeah, you can find my college basketball tweets uh, on Twitter, uh, Becker underscore Eli, that's B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R underscore E-L-I. And I'm also um, working over at Sporting News right now, so you can see plenty of content of uh, college basketball and a number of other things over on there as well. Oh, nice. Okay. Excellent. Well, uh, it's been great stuff. Uh, we've uh, You've been a friend of the program in the past. You always have some great insight about all the teams going on in the Mountain West. So appreciate your time tonight with an insight of the current state of the Mountain West. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, it's Eli Betker, contributor to the Sporting News. Uh, now he's moving up. So uh, good stuff there about what's going on in the Mountain West and some positive things happening with San Diego State and New Mexico, maybe a little better than some of us projected earlier in the year, but uh, disappointing with a lot of the other teams in the Mountain West, kind of bringing things down. Hopefully they can uh, pick some things up here still in the non-conference slate before we get into conference play and see how that affects the other teams with uh, RPI and things like that. So interesting stuff as uh, Utah State continues to get ready for a really important three-game stretch on the road at uh, neutral site locations in Salt Lake, in Houston, and in Miami against some really good teams. All right, coming up next on the Full Court Press, we'll keep talking about the Mountain West, but we'll shift from basketball uh, to uh, some football. Although we'll we'll talk about a little bit of Utah State basketball as well. They had a game last night. You have to talk about it as well, even though it was St. Catherine, and it was a palindrome score. But we'll get into that to discuss uh, what happened last night in the spectrum and uh, some of the coaching changes going on in the Mountain West Conference for football. So all that's coming up next right here on the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. You're listening to the Doug Gottlieb Show. There is a certain amount of joy in watching something collapse. That seems to be the way how we're following Alabama. This is celebrating the downfall of of the Jenga game. We try to do it with the Patriots. We're waiting for that thing to collapse. We take a little bit too much joy in the failures of these organizations which have built themselves up to where we think they're always going to win. The Doug Gottlieb Show. Weekday afternoons from 1 to 4 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. It's back. Jarek's Fine Jewelry in Logan is having our annual Pick a Pearl event. If you've attended this in the past, you know how much fun we have. And if you haven't come before, you don't want to miss this exciting event. For only $10, pick your oyster, open it that day, or save it for that stocking stuffer surprise. Mark your calendar Friday and Saturday, December 13th and 14th. Pick a Pearl at Jarek's Fine Jewelry. Look for the bright green cars. Jarek's Fine Jewelry. Make it special. Make it Jarek's. Imagine a blanket that could give you the same benefits as a full-body hug. A blanket that will help you relax and sleep better. I'm Jason from Utah Mattress Outlet, and we sell a weighted blanket that does just that. The true blanket. If you have effects of anxiety, depression, sleep disorders, hormonal imbalances, PTSD, autism, or if you're just plain stressed out, this blanket, the true blanket, is highly recommended by medical professionals. Come in the store and let us show you this amazing blanket. The true blanket is here at Utah Mattress Outlet, 880 South Main Street. Behind Utah's most successful businesses is a whole lot of technology making them run. Behind that technology is Les Olson Company. 
your local office technology partner. With everything from copiers and printers to IT services and even computers and document management software, Les Olson Company has all the tools your business needs to do more. Need office technology? Partner with Les Olson Company. Visit lesolson.com slash tech. Les Olson Company. This is Jay from Daryl's Appliance. We have Christmas specials now for a limited time on select Whirlpool, Maytag, and KitchenAid appliances. Save hundreds on kitchen packages and laundry sets with Maytag and Whirlpool appliances at Daryl's. Now is the time to buy. Plus, we have 12 months no interest financing and you get the Daryl's difference with our amazing service. Christmas specials now for a limited time at Daryl's Appliance. West on Airport Road. Open until 6 p.m. on weekdays and 5 p.m. Saturdays. Downtown Benson. Interviews, analysis, and a little bit of fun mixed in. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Welcome back to Full Court Press. Really appreciate Eli Betker for joining me. Always good stuff, always unbiased, and just a different view of what's going on in the Mountain West Conference. Um, and there's all, frankly, we knew that there was going to be a lot of changes when it happens every year, but I'm, a little, I'm frankly really surprised to see where Boise, B, uh, uh, Fresno and Colorado State are. They're not doing as well as I would have suspected they might. But Utah State, they're doing all right. San Diego State doing better than expected. New Mexico playing some pretty good basketball. Nevada was doing all right, and then they just got embarrassed by BYU last night. Uh, Utah State, really it's an exhibition game. NAIA school. Namish Keta, Sam Merrill didn't even dress. Um, we didn't want to see the main guys play very much. Uh, I think we set 10 minutes. It's kind of our 10 to 15 minutes is our ceiling is that we wanted to see some of these guys not play any more than that. Justin Bean played 18 minutes. Abel Porter played 18. So pretty close to that. But we saw a lot of minutes from uh, you know Brock Miller. Uh, we saw a lot of Trevin Dorius. We saw a lot of Sean Barristow, which we heard uh, could happen. And I thought they played pretty well. And it was good to see other guys getting some quality minutes, like uh, Roche, uh, 18 minutes from him, four rebounds, six points. Um, This was a game to see these guys, some of the the bench guys or the rotation guys, have some better opportunities to take advantage of their minutes on the court. Uh, Probably the biggest takeaway for me for the game last night for Utah State was to see what Miller was doing from beyond the arc. He's been pretty inconsistent there. Maybe it's just adjusting to uh, it's a little bit further out. I don't know what, what he's going on there, but uh, I thought he played particularly well. Six for 19 from beyond the arc. Uh, so he put up a lot of three-point shots um, and uh, thought he did pretty well. So nice to see that uh, happen, to see the rotations and other guys getting some quality minutes and, and good run for the bench guys at uh, Utah State. Um, so other than that, there's not a whole lot more to take away from it based on who the opponent was. But you know, Utah State did a really good job of uh, taking advantage of their rebound um, opportunities, how they were such uh, – had the height advantage there and didn't allow too many opportunities for St. Catherine. 
But it was a, a game to fine-tune some things before this really important stretch for USU, facing BYU in Salt Lake City on Saturday, facing uh, South Florida in Houston next Wednesday, and then facing Florida in Miami next the following Saturday. So it's a really big stretch for USU. Good chance to get some fine, some things fine-tuned for this Aggie basketball team. Um, so it looks like we have uh, we've got some things re connected here, refigured out with Dan Clayton. Uh, and so instead of having him last hour, we're going to try to squeeze him in for this hour. So here's what we're going to do. Calling a little bit of an audible. We'll take a little bit of an early break, get Dan Clayton lined up, talk about the Jazz, and then when we come back, on, we have the last little bit of time, we'll try to get to some of the coaching changes in the Mountain West college football scene. If we don't have time for that, we'll just kick it over into tomorrow. But uh, we'll talk some more jazz with uh, Dan Clayton coming up next right here on the Full Court Press. Cares for Christmas is an organization that helps families in need of Christmas. In family number six, there is a refugee family of seven. The mother recently needed to quit her job because of back problems and needs your help with Christmas this year. The mother and father would like some gift cards to local businesses and the children all need warm clothes. For more information, please go to caresforchristmas.org. That's caresforchristmas.org. And thanks for caring this Christmas. This is Bruce Rigby from Cash Valley Bank. We are growing and excited to announce the opening of our newest location in Smithfield. Well-known local Daryl Simmons has joined us and will be working out of that office. We also opened a location in Hiram last year, and you'll soon see construction on a new office there with Catherine Buse as our manager. She's the granddaughter of a longtime Hiram banker, Colleen Ander. Cash Valley Bank, growing, expanding, and proud to have our roots firmly planted in Cash Valley. Cash Valley Bank, member FDIC. Take a moment and think about where you are. Now, let's dream about where you'd rather be. A Disney Cruise Line vacation, perhaps? Let us help. We'll add some ocean waves. Now, the kids are playing at their own clubs. You're enjoying a romantic dinner. And tonight, gather for fireworks over the ocean. More fireworks. When you're dreaming of the perfect vacation for the whole family, the difference is Disney. Booking a Disney cruise is easy. Call Columbus Travel, 800-373-3328. It's the Full Court Press, weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric Franson with you on a Wednesday night here on the Full Court Press. Thanks for tuning in. Reminder, if you missed anything, you want to go back and listen to it again. Like, if you missed part of our interview there with Eli Betker and want to hear it in its entirety, go to our website, 1069thefan.com. We'll have the podcast up a little bit later on tonight or tomorrow. Depending If it's me, it'll probably be tomorrow. If it was Ajay in here, it'd be up tonight. Uh, just the way it works. But uh, then you can also find it on wherever podcasts are, like Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, so just subscribe to our uh, podcast and you'll have it there. Uh, another great interview to, uh, to have here on the show tonight is uh, our friend Dan Clayton, who is a contributor for Salt City Hoops, follows the Utah Jazz very closely, and uh, joins us now. And uh, Dan, thanks for spending some time with us. I know tonight we've got a jazz game going on that you're going to be paying very close attention to, but appreciate you uh, squeezing us in for a little bit. Of course. It's always fun to uh, talk to my pals up there in beautiful Cash Valley. Hey, so this jazz team, I know a lot of jazz fans are 
hopping up and down. They're they're finding the panic button and they're hitting it quite hard. I mean, this is a team that's lost six of their last eight, and they really haven't been very competitive in those six losses. Should we be panicked, or is this just, hey, teams have slumps, they go through this, the Jazz have gone through this before, they've still been okay? So I still think the Jazz are a good team that's having a bad stretch, but we're definitely past the point where we can sugarcoat it and and pretend that they're not playing really poorly right now. Um, you know, to your point, it's it's not just that they're two and six in the last eight. It's the fact that, um, you know, I think I think people expected them to struggle going into Milwaukee, going into Toronto, going into Indiana, some of the tough places they played on on that road trip there towards the end of November, going into early December. But it's the fact that now they're coming home, they're facing lottery teams like, you know, Monday night they faced Oklahoma City, who is a sub-500 team who was down two starters and playing on a back-to-back. And even then, the Jazz looked like the team that was stuck in mud and, and, you know, really struggled to keep pace with a team that's not going to make the playoffs this year. So I think that's the stuff that is that is frustrating for people. You know, the Jazz have not beat a team that currently has a winning record since November 12th. So we're talking about a month now wow. um, that the Jazz haven't beat anybody that you can really hang your hat and say, wow, that's a that's a game that a contender should win. So it, when looking at what's going on here, some of the comments after the Oklahoma City game were that, oh, we're just, teams are being more physical against us than we're used to. We're not handling that well. Uh, there was a stretch there whenever Rudy Gobert would go to the bench, teams would flip a switch and attack the basket, and the Jazz couldn't stop them. But this team is, by and large, healthy. I mean, Mike Connolly notwithstanding. So some of the things that seem to be problematic for the Jazz haven't historically been problematic for the Jazz. <laughs> so, did they right. just miss Derek Favors and Jay Crowder, or guys like that, more than we realize? I mean, you know, there's something to be said for what those guys brought um, in, in some of the intangible departments. I, th- I think, look, what Boyan Bogdanovich is adding to the Jazz right now from an offensive standpoint, he, he's struggling, he's in a slump. But I mean, you know, what he adds in general to the Utah Jazz, I think outweighs some of what you lose with a, with a Jay Crowder type and even some of what you lose with Favors. I mean, Favors was unique because he was the Jazz's starting forward but he was also you know the guy gobbling up pretty much all of those backup center minutes behind Rudy Gobert so a little different case there but my I guess my broader point here is just that um, you know the Jazz have a talented roster they lost some talented guys but they did that last offseason so that they could add guys like Mike Conley guys like Boyan Bogdanovich I don't I don't know that they can point to Oh, Crowder's gone. Oh, Favors is gone. Oh, Rubio's gone as an excuse. The whole point of their offseason priorities was to go out and upgrade those rotation spots. And I think they did. Um, now it cost them a little bit of depth on the back end of the rotation. And that's part of the issue that we're seeing now is that the Jazz are having to throw more minutes out of necessity to guys who probably, if we're honest about it, are like fringe rotation quality at best, right? Like Emmanuel Moutier has never in his NBA career played winning basketball um, over a long period of time. And now he's Utah's like ninth man, right? George Nyang, probably a fringe rotation guy, meaning, you know, some nights he's going to look helpful, some nights he's not. Now he's the Jazz's 10th man and, and seeing semi-meaningful minutes. So I think that that's part of the issue is that the Jazz did have to downgrade 
call it spots seven through 15 in order to upgrade spots one through six on their roster to the degree that they did. And I, and I think ultimately they'll figure that out. But right now there is definitely a big letdown as soon as they really go to their bench at all, or, or really go past Joe Ingles on their bench. Cause the jazz have a very solid front six. And then they have a bunch of guys who are either struggling or who really have never been all that great in the NBA to begin with. This is also roster. We we're talking about this a little bit earlier that, Boyan Bogdanovich was called on to pretty much carry the Pacers for a good chunk of the season a year ago. Mike Connolly had to carry the the Grizzlies for a good chunk of the season a year ago. Uh, and even to some degree, Moudier was the offensive the offensive weapon that the Knicks had. Uh, now you've cobbled them all together, and you're asking them to play team ball. Is this point of the season guys starting to settle back into old habits? Could that be part of what's going on? You know, I don't, I don't think so with, with the starting group or with that core six group. Um, I do think that when the bench comes in, there's a little bit of my turn, your turn offense being played. You know, you, you're right. Conley and Bogey um, really had central roles on their teams last year, but they're high IQ basketball players. They're guys who wanted to be in this situation because they wanted to be surrounded by other threats. They wanted to play with a spread floor and a balanced attack. But then, yeah, what happens is you go to the bench and, and you do, you, you have some players who maybe don't have this, the same ability to really make the defense react in, in, you know, in, in terms of playing system ball. So what they do instead is they play a little bit of head down isolation basketball. And, you know, I, I think that's what the jazz have seen a lot of out of, Emmanuel Moutier and for the first seven or eight games of the season he was doing well and so everybody was celebrating that well for the last month it really hasn't gone that well for the Jazz and the problem when you have a player like that especially a point guard is that you know again if he's making those shots it's great if he's missing them then now nobody else is getting involved in your offense and suddenly you have guys like Joe Ingles who are really talented basketball players who are slumping because they're just not seeing the ball in, in the spots and in the situations where they're used to seeing the ball. So I think that bench rotation is going to be something that Quinn Snyder is going to have to continue to solve and figure out how the Jazz can continue to look like the Jazz, even when some of those main six guys, guys need, to, need to take a rest and you're relying for a few minutes on Moutier and on Jeff Green and Ed Davis and, and Niang and, and Dante Exum. So I wanted to talk about Exum with the way you're describing Moutier and how maybe he is not really helping the team so much in the team ball. Is the gap between him and Exum then so great that they that Quinn Snyder can't say, Moutier, you got to sit down. You're not doing it right. Exum's got to get in there and do the, what we need him to do. This seems like we've given a lot of time and patience for Exum, but he's still getting beat out on minutes played by a pretty wide margin. You know, I'll be honest with you, Eric, this is one that continues to puzzle me. Um, I know Exum has looked very rusty. Um, you know, he's only played 11 games, I think, since returning from this latest round of injury, this time a, a patellar tendon in his knee, um, a different knee from the previous ACL surgery. But, you know, he's, he's working his way back to rhythm, and that's obvious. He does not look great when he puts the ball on the floor and tries to finish him, himself. But for me, this issue of, why are the Jazz continuing to give Emmanuel Moutier such a long leash when they have a player like Exum who, even when he's rusty, just does some things naturally that would help the second unit, right? Like, Exum is a player who, because of his speed with the ball, 
he can cause the defense to react to him. And that's something that the second unit isn't getting enough of. And he's also, obviously, we've, we've all known since his rookie season, Exum is also a superior on-ball defender, or at least can be a superior on-ball defender when he's playing well. So for me, the answer to that question, Eric, I'm way past the point where I would be throwing more of those minutes Exum's way as opposed to Moutier, who, who like I say, I, I think – can be useful as a situational scorer, as a guy who can come in and kind of bulldog his way to a couple buckets sometimes when you need them. But in terms of someone to actually run some pick and roll and, and guard the other team, um, you know, the, another ingredient in Monday's loss that I don't think has been discussed enough is how Dennis Schroeder of OKC just went off for about a four minute period of, in the third quarter of that game while OKC was pulling away with a 19 to four run. Schroeder had 12 of those 19 points and it was pretty much all while Emmanuel Moutier was primarily guarding him. And, and also while they were forcing switches to get George Niang switched out onto him. So basically OKC found a weakness in the Jazz's defensive armor and and that's what I'm talking about. Like, I just, I just don't know how they can continue to let those things happen, to watch those things happen and not say to themselves, Hey, maybe we should give this guy a try who, you know, is struggling right now. Exum is struggling. There's no way around that, but he's someone who historically has been able to frustrate multiple league MVPs with his defensive prowess on the perimeter. Why not give that guy a shot at, at getting a little bit of that feel for the game back and and instead, he's someone who literally has stepped on the court in the second half of games twice in the last 10 Jazz games um, outside of garbage time. They're just not using him in the second half of games at all. And, and I continue to just find that weird, especially given the fact that some of his strengths seem naturally to match up with what the second unit needs more of. Sorry, that was a long answer. But no, it was great. That's, but, that's, but that's one that's been, you know almost literally keeping me up at night. I, I don't know why we haven't seen the minute allocation go that direction. Um, you know, Moutier has been having a, a rough few weeks here. Again, we're talking to Dan Clayton with Salt City Hoops. And uh, before I let you go, the uh, do you think the Jazz are, are, are players in the in the early trade market to try to shift things up a little bit with their with their bench? I don't think they'll be a big player, no, just because they don't really have the, the salaries and assets to piece together for a trade. They're, they're obviously not going to trade Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. Um, they're not going to trade guys they just got in Bogey and Conley. Um, so really, you know, their, their tradable assets are pretty limited. They also traded some picks out to bring Conley last offseason. So now they're restricted in terms of, um, you know, their rules in the NBA about not trading away first rounders in consecutive years. So that really limits them in terms of their ability to use draft assets to bring players back. Because of all of that, I think if they make a trade, it'll be something a lot more minor, like, you know, maybe trading their eighth man for another team's 11th man or something crazy like that. Um, what I do think that they will, that they will try to do, I think that they intentionally sign some of these end of bench guys, um, to, to contracts with partial guarantees because they do expect to be players or at least to want to be players in the buyout market when some veterans maybe get shaken loose, um, you know, around the middle of the season. Gotcha. Interesting. 
Well, Dan, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we could work you into the into the show tonight, and appreciate your time. I know we, you got a jazz game you're going to be following tonight, and uh, appreciate you carving out a little bit of time for us tonight. Yeah, of course. Glad to do it. All right, that's uh, Dan Clayton with Salt City Hoops. Great stuff, and uh, we're glad to hear we're not the only ones a little bit baffled about what's going on with uh, Dante Exum and rotations and minutes, uh, and we're all trying to figure out what's going on with this jazz team and the current slump that they are in. Still a good team, but just uh, in a bit of a funk. So hopefully they can start to shake that loose on the road tonight at the Minnesota Timberwolves. Again, we'll have pregame coverage right here on the fan starting at uh, about uh, about five minutes from now with the pregame coverage with David Locke and then the full game coverage here uh, on uh, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, uh, the fan. So, um, yeah, really interesting to hear Dan's perspective on it as well uh, with the, the, the bench play that seems to be lacking and trying to solidify some solid minutes, maybe you know, just trying to figure out that rotation of who plays with what combination of other players with other starters trying to get this mystery solved for Quinn Snyder and that staff. Generally speaking, I believe in Quinn. I think he's a good coach, uh, and I think they do have some good players. Just got to still figure some things out. Maybe just got to get the right combination of guys on the floor at the same time, and they just haven't quite had enough opportunities to do that. So uh, well, we'll see tonight. Uh, last little bit here with you before we hand it off to David Locke and the Utah Jazz. There, As we've been talking about earlier in the show, there have been some coaching changes in the Mountain West Conference, uh, and some guys stepped away for health reasons or decided to step away early. Mike Bobo, uh, Coach Bobo at Colorado State, Coach Tedford at Fresno State stepped away accordingly, uh, reportedly on their own accord. But then uh, the changes also at New Mexico and UNLV. And it looks like UNLV's got their guy, Oregon Offensive Coordinator Marcus Arroyo, and then Colorado State hiring Steve Adagio, who came from Boston College, who was fired just uh, last week, and very mediocre tenure at uh, Boston College with a lot of former players and other boosters and fans questioning why he even got another job. So we'll get into more of that uh, tomorrow as uh, we continue to update the coaching carousel in college football and what it looks like for the Mountain West Conference. Have a great night, everybody. we got Utah Jazz, which will be coming up next. And then tomorrow we'll continue to break it down what happened, if any changes, for the Jazz.